Welcome to Convos from the Couch by Life Stance Health, where leading mental health professionals help guide you on your journey to a healthier, more fulfilling life. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Convos from the Couch by Life Stance Health. I'm Nicolette Lianza, and on today's episode, I'm excited to be talking with MK Holm, a Texas Regional Clinical Director, and she'll be telling us all about trauma-informed yoga. So welcome, MK. Great to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. As I am as well. So we know that trauma not only affects our mind, but can also be held in our bodies. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation today with you. She tell us more about trauma-informed yoga and how it can be helpful for those with who has experienced trauma. So welcome again. Thank you. Let's jump in. Tell us a little bit about your background, how you became involved with trauma-informed yoga or TIY to make it easy. TIY. Yeah, absolutely. So as you said, my name is MK Holm. I'm the Regional Clinical Director for Life Science Texas. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, a qualified mental health professional. And in addition, I am, or perhaps in the, along with that, I am a 500-hour registered yoga instructor. I'll touch on that in a little bit, but I do try and incorporate holistic and somatic healing into my work as a, from, as a yoga instructor into my clinical approach. So I came to practice yoga when I was in high school. I was a cross-country runner and yoga was suggested to us as a way to incorporate some cross-training into our routine. And I really fell in love with the practice. So I maintained it on and off for several years. So fast forward, I'm getting a master's degree in social work, working three jobs, plus doing my practicum and internships. And so yoga was not so much a hobby as it was a really crucial part of maintaining my mental health and my self-care routine. So in my master's degree program at St. Louis University and in my undergrad program at Michigan State University, I realized that a lot of the concepts and theories that were taught were offered to us in a trauma-informed and strengths-based perspective. Social workers love talking about strengths-based perspective. We're all about it. So this really resonated with me. And I started to see, like many people, immersed in the graduate programs, how the concepts talked about in the classroom were so applicable to spaces outside of the classroom, my practicum, my internships, my own doctor's appointments, and my yoga practice. So it made sense to me when I started looking for an organization to do my yoga teacher training with that I found an organization that really valued trauma-informed yoga practices. And I, I live in St. Louis, Missouri, and I had taken several classes from trauma-informed instructors from an, a nonprofit called Yoga Buzz, and they work really hard to create trauma-informed yoga practices in an inclusive and accessible way throughout the city of St. Louis. So I ended up doing both my 200 and my 300 hour teacher training with yoga bus. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Very cool. So can you explain to us what trauma-informed yoga is and how it differs from traditional yoga practices? Yeah. I first want to clarify that the way that I define yoga today or the way that I refer to it in our conversation is the physical practice or the asana. That's A-S-A-N-A. And that's the physical practice that happens on a mat began centuries ago in Southeast Asia as a way of life, not just a physical practice, but for the, the purpose of today's conversation, I'm referring to the physical practice. So that said, trauma-informed yoga is the practice of yoga with a very specialized respect and awareness for the biopsychosocial and emotional impacts that trauma can have on an individual. We know from decades of evidence-based research that the mind and the body are inherently connected. And it's this mind-body connection 
that mind body connection rather is really the, like the fulcrum upon which a lot of healing happens from different experiences like chronic stress and like trauma. We also know that trauma can also inform how the mind and body are working together if they're working together and how they operate independently as well as together. So trauma is not only a psychological phenomenon, it's a physical one. As you touched on, trauma is stored in the body. So the energy that we experience during a traumatic event, whether that's a big T or a little T event, that can be stored in our body. And so trauma-informed yoga is the space that's a type of somatic experiencing that's meant to honor both the mind and the body in ways that might include practicing awareness of what our body feels like. What's, what do our thoughts sound like? What's our internal dialogue? What are our triggers? It might look like the instructor offering a lot of choices for what might serve each student and doing all these things in a really non-judgmental and empowering strength-based manner. So we know that survivors of trauma can have a lot of different responses, some of which might include dissociation, panic attacks, central nervous system responses, elevated biomarkers like cortisol and adrenaline. So a non-trauma-informed yoga class might encourage students to power through discomfort, whereas a trauma-informed yoga class might say, let's pause. If you feel safe, then pause, identify, become aware. What am I feeling? What am I thinking? What sensations are coming to the surface? And then decide, do I want to continue with the class that's being offered? Do I want to take a different variation? Do I want to sit back into child pose? Do I want to cycle through a really familiar vinyasa that feels good and comforting to me right now? I love that. I love that. It's like, it's paced for what works for the individual and what they're needing and not like just pushing through anyways. I think that's so key to this. Yeah. And healing looks different for all of us yeah. and yoga looks different for all of us. I think it's important that a trauma-informed yoga class is less rigid than yeah, what we might see. And then, yeah, it's not so cookie cutter. So I might have 10 students in a class in front of me and all 10 of them might be taking a different variation of something that I've offered or something that I haven't even suggested. And that's okay. Cause that's what's working for them in that moment. Love that. And again, that key of that, I think a lot of people don't realize trauma sits in the body as well. And what a great practice to be able to, to really outlet it through the body as well. An outlet. Because, yeah. So tell us a little bit more about how it works and how it can be beneficial for individuals who have experienced trauma. Yeah, this is so cool to me. I love this. Trauma-informed yoga, as I mentioned, it's a healing modality underneath the bigger umbrella of somatic experiencing. And somatic experiencing takes what we call a bottom-up approach instead of the top-down approach. So in bottom-up approach, we are activating the brain's most primal systems, like the amygdala, which is where the fight-or-flight response happens compared to a top-down approach that's typically utilized in higher, higher functioning therapies like cognitive talk therapies and no, no hate to talk therapies. Right, I'm a cognitive right, therapist right. myself. In addition to using some somatic healing, it's just that those activate a higher complex part of the brain, like the frontal lobe where critical thinking and abstract yeah. thinking happens. And so that bottom-up approach is beneficial for individuals who've experienced trauma in a lot of ways. So first and foremost, offering a space where that exploration of bottom-up healing can happen. Feeling safe in an environment is really important because the world can be a very scary place for people who've experienced trauma, especially complex traumas. So we know that offering these spaces in a strength-based perspective, there's that word again, can allow them to choose their own methods and it can reduce symptoms of post-traumatic stress like dissociation. It can increase emotional regulation, hopefully improve breathwork patterns, awareness of thoughts, reduce sleep disturbances, reduce hypervigilance, and a lot of the things that we see with traumatic events. Lots of benefits there.
Can you walk us through a typical trauma-informed yoga class and what participants can expect? Yes. So most yoga classes follow the same kind of loose outline, which is a centering practice, the asana practice, a grounding practice, and then savasana or the final resting space. I start with a trauma-informed approach from the get-go, right out of the gate in my classes. So that might look like finding a comfortable shape to start off. It might be in that really stereotypical cross-legged lotus shape or not. A lot of people are practicing from office chairs, from a mat, from a wheelchair, whatever that looks like. Maybe they want to lay down or kneel and that's completely fine. At that point, we move into a centering or a grounding practice. Sometimes, oftentimes, this includes a meditation and it's stereotypical to close your eyes and very, be very introspective in meditation. For me personally, I like to close my eyes because I get overstimulated the more information that's coming into my retina. That might not feel safe for trauma survivors to close your eyes, especially around strangers in a space. So I encourage people to lower the gaze or keep your eyes open. And then we move through a sequence of flows of asana practices, offering lots of choices and modifications along the way, being mindful and inclusive of different body types, different accessibility types, even different levels of brain health. So I've taught yoga to dementia residents, and that's going to look very different from people who have healthy brains. So offering a not cookie cutter experience is really important to me. And then at the end of class, we always, I should say almost always take a shape called Svashana. And this is most commonly known by laying on your back in a supine position for at least five minutes. That's meant for restoration and reflection. There's a lot of things about Savasana that can feel very triggering or unsafe to a trauma survivor. Laying in one position for five minutes in complete stillness, that right. can be very unsettling. For the best of us, we are we live in such a fast-paced true. world that very true. we're not used to sitting still. Right. We're always pinging and lighting up and dinging on our phones and things like that. So that can feel very unsettling. Laying with your... with on your back in a supine position with your organs exposed can feel very unsettling, things like that. There's also an important element of yoga and healthcare that I think is important to note, which is meditation. So a lot of times Savasana can be offered as a way to meditate. I'm a big fan of meditation. I've been practicing for years. And in some cases, meditation is being prescribed in lieu of medication, which for some people is a great tool. It's also not a one size fits all solution. So if somebody doesn't have the coping skills, the regulation skills, the tools to address and deal with the images, the sensations, the thoughts that come up during a meditation, that can actually be a really harmful experience. So I encourage instructors and students don't meditate if it doesn't feel good for you, or if you want to meditate, figure out some skills and some regulation tools to address what's coming up. So in any case, Savasana typically is a restorative pose. And so I encourage people to cover up with a blanket, get comfortable, lay on your side or skip Savasana altogether. And I like, again, how you tailor it to what works for the person. If they're feeling too vulnerable, just in the supine position like that, tailor it for what's most comfortable for you. I love that you, you yeah. do that. Right. Yeah. One, one instance, when I worked in memory care, one instance of somebody feeling, I think the trauma response was a veteran who served in the war and the ceiling fan above him on above his hospice bed, we think reminded him of a helicopter from his time in war. Oh. And so that reminds me of if I'm in a yoga, if I'm teaching yoga in a space too, this is a very niche population. This is a very specific scenario, right? But I think it's important to be mindful of those things. So laying on the, if that, if I'm that person, I have that trauma response and I'm looking up to see the ceiling fan that's very triggering. I don't really want to stay in that. Totally fine. So I think right. we just have to be open to what people are wanting to do for that. 
And perhaps one of the most important parts of being a trauma-informed class is not offering hands-on assistance unless asked or given explicit permission for. I personally appreciate getting hands-on assistance because the physical feedback helps guide my alignment in class, but a lot of people aren't okay with it. So I've seen this really beautiful trend in classes recently where people either have their eyes lowered or their gaze closed completely. And at that point, the instructor will say, nobody is looking, give a wave, let me know. You might get a choice card to say yes assist, no assist. Even though I doubt anybody would judge or care if you chose to decline an assist, it's hard to go against the grain when people's eyes are on you. So right. I want to call out that really That's bad great. For practice. It definitely yeah. takes the pressure off if you're feeling you're not being watched then. Yeah, there's a lot of judgment and that's the last place that yeah. is in a yoga studio or a yoga space. Of course. So how does the integration of mindfulness and body awareness play a role in TIY? So trauma-informed yoga encourages the student to practice awareness of what's happening in both their mind and body throughout the asana practice, and then choosing their own variation of what works best for you. So an analogy that I like to think of is those choose your own adventure action books or adventure books, right? So you're choosing which one works for you. So I think that this approach, or my hope, is that this approach allows for the central nervous system to reset and just pause, perhaps exit fight or flight, and to start to feel safe again in the space that was once very elevating. So maybe something, a piece of language in a yoga class felt very triggering or upsetting or a certain shape um, was upsetting. You might pause, ground yourself, and then you're practicing and teaching your body and your brain the skill of activating parasympathetic activation rather than fight or flight. So let's get out of that fight or flight or freeze mode and start to learn that we can be safe in some of these environments. Now this can be taken off the map, which I love because we all live in a very chaotic world. We are undoubtedly going to face elevating moments, whether it's traumatic or otherwise, this practice of tuning in, identifying what we need, and then taking action and advocating for ourselves, which is a really important part of healing for trauma survivors is advocating yeah. and self-empowerment. That can be taken off the mat and used in an everyday skill set. Hopefully this can be added as a tool to somebody's tool belt of coping skills. Oh my gosh, I love that for sure. So how do you approach creating a safe and supportive environment for participants in your classes? As I've mentioned, I'm really big on choice and variations, offering as many modifications as I possibly can throughout a class. I also try to be mindful of the language and the physical space that I create. So first and foremost, language. I try very hard to use language that is not particularly emotionally charged, nothing that would be heavily gendered. I try to avoid the very heavily gendered language. Also, I've talked about yoga being adapted throughout the centuries. I'm also very cognizant, or I try to be at least, of not, not doing harm to the roots of where this practice came from. This is a very sacred ancient practice that has been evolved over the years. And I try to give verbal gratitude to my students or to invite my students to share in gratitude of the original practitioners. I love that you do that. You send respect back to the original practitioners. I really adore that. Because it's not necessarily our practice. Yes this came yeah. from centuries and lineages of beautiful instructors and practitioners. So I try to be culturally competent because I think it can be triggering for appropriation to happen, to take a really sacred practice and to Americanize it so much. And so with yeah. respect to the practice and to the, the nature of it, we have to offer that gratitude. 
And then the physical space. So I like to give people plenty of space to spread out, not feel like they might have to touch somebody on accident. That would be upsetting. I'm also cognizant of not having people practice in a circle. So there's something unifying about practicing in a circle. So a lot of group therapy sessions happen in a circle for right. a very reason. Love that. For yoga, it may not always be beneficial because it can be awkward to share eye contact with somebody in this yeah. space. There's so much comparison and judgment that and self-judgment that happens. So I try to avoid practicing the circle, making sure that everybody feels safe on their mat or wherever they're practicing from. Also, tapping into the physical comfort of class is a really big part of trauma-informed yoga. So I encourage people to use as many props, whether that's bolsters, blankets, blocks, bring the ground up to you to make it a little bit more accessible, mm -hmm. optimize your physical comfort and tap into that parasympathetic activation and your self-soothing. Love that all. How can individuals incorporate trauma-informed yoga into their own self-care routine? The first thing to do, I think, is ask yoga studios what trauma-informed instructors are on your roster, what classes do they teach? Don't be afraid to ask, what does trauma-informed yoga look like in your class? Just because it's on a resume doesn't mean it's happening. So they might share some of the things I've said today. So I use, I try to avoid certain language. I encourage props. I don't offer hands-on assists or I offer the choice to opt out of hands-on assists. Other things might come up too. And then try different styles to see what resonates with you, with your nervous system and your style of self-care. After you've done a class, ask yourself, did I feel comfortable? Did I feel safe? Did I feel judged? Did I feel like I had choices or like I was really pressured to conform? Did the instructor give me hands-on assist without my explicit permission? So if the answer to those is it's not a positive one, consider switching. Advocate for yourself. Again, advocacy. advocating for your own healing is such a big part of healing from trauma. And don't be, don't fall into the trap of thinking that you have to do one type of yoga. As a clinician, I made a mistake once of suggesting that a patient of mine who'd experienced some complex trauma try a restorative yoga class. I thought that the slow, gentle nature of it would be very soothing for her. No. Her emotional release was very powerful. A lot of adrenaline. Oh. But she really resonated with the power of vinyasa. I see. Okay. Okay. Go for it. I think right. finding what works for you is so important. And that was a great reminder for me that through the lens of healing from trauma, somatic experiencing in yoga can and does look different for everyone. And at the end of the day, did you have fun? Yeah. Enjoy yourself? Or did you feel like you had to force yourself to go? Because a lot of people who experience trauma, they have playfulness taken away from them, the right to enjoy life. So that can be yeah. such a radical tool of yeah. healing and resilience is finding playfulness again. Yes. So, even those who haven't experienced trauma, I think we all need to find more. Yes, I agree. Love that you're bringing that up too, the playfulness yeah. aspect. I agree. We all need that. Yes. Enjoyable practice. I understand that you developed a trauma-informed yoga program for LifeStance employees. Can you tell us more about that? Yes, I'm so excited about this program. It's called Living Your Best Life Stance, and it is one of three avenues through which LifeStance clinicians can get free continued education units with us as a benefit of employment at LifeStance. Oh my gosh, your passion, MK, oh. for this, it definitely shines through. 
I appreciate this conversation and really helping our listeners understand what trauma-informed yoga is and how they can incorporate it and seek it out in their own life. I know I'm going to be definitely checking out the For Life Sands employees because I, I am, I do adore yoga. I know the healing factors of it. So the fact that it even comes to where I work that I can do it, I'm definitely going to be so partaking myself. Yes, that's a great word. Definitely powerful. So thank you again for sharing your knowledge with us. Thank you for having me. This was so great. I would also like to thank the team behind Conference from the Couch podcast, Jason Clayton, Chris Kelman, and Juliana Whitten. Take care, everyone.